welcome to the No Country Podcast. This is J. David Osborne. We'll be joined by Chris Sacknessum in just a moment. But before we do that, I wanted to give you a quick note about today's show. As you know, over the past three episodes, we've been following similar themes. We've tried to pick up the themes where we left off. And we were going to do that for this episode, but unfortunately, due to some technical difficulties, that entire episode was lost. And continuing the theme of technical difficulties, the following day, that would be Tuesday, yesterday, um, had some snafus and weird things that ended up getting me stuck up in Oklahoma City with no way to record a traditional type of episode. So I thought... In the spirit of No Country, it being this sort of new thing, I wouldn't normally want to do an experimental episode this early, but I called Chris on Skype, and while I was driving around Northwest Oklahoma City, we had a nice chat. It doesn't really relate to the first three episodes all that much. It's much more of a freewheeling kind of conversation, although we do we do call back to some themes that we've been working on. So next week, we will be back with... Uh, the episode that was lost, we'll try to uh, sort of recreate that as best we can. It's a good thing. I think Chris and I both take notes, so we'll be able to talk about all that good stuff. I also want to say thank you very much to everybody who is listening to the show. I really appreciate it. I've been putting out podcasts for about four years now, and this one has been the most rapidly rising and downloaded podcast that I have put out, and I think that is in no small part to my co-host, Mr. Chris Sacknessum. So eternally grateful for him, eternally grateful for you. Do me a big favor. If you like this show, I know we don't currently have a a page for No Country, but if you do like this show, um, tweet about it or post about it on Instagram or Facebook, wherever you get your information out. I think at this day and age, People are inundated with bad news, uh, fires, viruses, uh, terrorism, people in MAGA hats, people in masks, etc., etc. So why not share this instead, where we kind of talk about things openly and in a nonpartisan way, as nonpartisan as we possibly can, and uh, and you know, and we just really kind of look for art and beauty in the world and and magic too right so that's a bit of a ramble but yeah share it share it with people i want to see this thing grow this is very exciting it seems to be connecting so thanks once again enjoy this episode sorry for the quality it doesn't really sound any worse than other podcasts that record on skype so we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming next week all right. We are now recording. Hello, Chris. David, once again, exciting, exciting. I have so much good news to share with you. <laughs> oh, really? Well, I'll let you go first, and then we can kind of get into the, the strangeness of this particular episode. So, so please go, go ahead. Well, I've, um, I've got a, a presentation accepted at the... Uh, National Council of Teachers of English, which I'm not really amongst that tribe of people, um, but I am proud to get a peer-reviewed thing. It's very competitive, um, which will be happening in uh, in March. They tell you early, um, so that's really cool. And um, two of my students are really breaking ground 
um, in, in different media, uh, documentary film and um, nonfiction. And I'm very, very proud of them. Uh, they're students of color. Uh, they're not from advantaged backgrounds. Um, well, they're about from as disadvantaged as you can get, one of them. Um, shot multiple times, you know, as a teenager. Um, so I'm really, really excited to be helping and seeing these young people get over. You know, we, you and I talked about a community of magic, a community of art. Uh, well, you know, you got to live by that. You, you, you actually got to stand up for that and make that real. Otherwise, it's, uh, you know, it's just not it's real. Just talk. Yeah, it's just talk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we put such a premium on what everybody says and making sure that they say all the correct things. And there doesn't really seem to be any sort of uh, premium put on action, on, on doing the things that you talk about. It's all about what you say to the point that you'll have some people who seem to do a lot of good in the world, but are perhaps a bit uncouth, a bit unwashed. And, uh, and they seem to kind of get swept under the rug by people who have nice white teeth. Well, you know, I, I think this is where you and I get to of, of trying to explain the idea of animist magic as being physical. Words, actions, a unity, a continuity, a continuum of spirit. You know, a continuum of spirit, really. Mm -hmm. And if you're not delivering on that, well, you know, I don't, I don't know what to say. Right. It's, it's virtue signaling to me, you know? Well, it is virtue signaling. And I think that that term in particular has been co-opted by people. And it's one of those dog whistle words that everybody seems to think they know what it means. But all virtue signaling really is, is exactly what it sounds like. You are signaling that you are a virtuous person. And it implies a kind of vacuity of actual... Um, principles or action or anything like that it's it's completely a surface level activity totally and you know okay the other thing i've just got as a starting off point is that and i don't think that you or i had this in mind but we are developing a, a bit of a fan base of some very very beautiful women that i'm very proud of Okay. Um, they're beautiful physically, they're beautiful intellectually. I, I didn't actually think that we would be reaching out. Uh, I mean, how do you reach out to that, you know, demographic explicitly? You can't, you can't. Um, and I'm not sure in my fiction or my art or my photography that, you know, are you sure? Um, I've tried to, um, to connect with people, but I think something is working here and i think we really need to thank this fan base because they are are, are really um some of the most interesting people around the planet that i know you know and i'm very yeah. grateful yeah yeah no definitely thanks to them and everybody who's listening this has been uh the most exponentially growing podcast that i've put together so far you know i've done hundreds of episodes of, of the jdo show and uh, I've been, I've had appearances on podcasts and none of them have quite grown as quickly as this one in particular. So 
shout out to everybody who listens. Now, uh, if you are listening, you might notice that my voice is a little different on this one. There's no microphone involved. Um, Essentially, there was a scheduling snafu with a doctor's appointment. Long story. I'll explain it better in our intro. But uh, So I am currently driving around the Paseo District of Northwest Oklahoma City. And I thought, I, I called Chris and I said, you know, we got to get this episode recorded um, so we could, we could talk this evening. But it might be sort of interesting uh, to, to do this. So right now I'm driving past First Presbyterian. It's an enormous Gothic cathedral. Then on my left, I see Neverland's Gypsy, which is a tiny little store with flowers painted all over it. I wonder what that sells. And I'm now turning yeah, what the hell? I think you should pull over and find out. Yeah, maybe I should pull over and find out. So I'm now on 27th. This is your standard Northwest Oklahoma City uh, sort of Section 8 housing. It's very unique designs. They're all brick, all red brick with uh they all have arches on their porches so these arches of brick <clears throat> nicely trimmed lawns a few uh a few unkempt ones i'm making a left hand turn now to go back and see what this neverland's gypsy place is called i don't think gypsy is a nice word i don't think you're supposed to say that anymore um <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i mean well it's kind of it depends it depends yeah. what they're selling are they selling gypsies yeah, would be a problem. <laughs> that might be a, that might be a serious problem. We might have a slight human rights. Oh, okay. So I see over here. It looks like a Vietnamese restaurant. It's called Super Cow Win. That seems uh, like a place that I will never eat. There's a lot of sort of Asian all-you-can-eat type places that strike me as oh, there's some crispy folks. Hey, oh, it's a dispensary. What crispy it's- folks? Who's selling crispy folks? No, no, not they're not selling crispy folks, but they are crispy folks. Okay, so what this is, what Neverland's Gypsy is, am I saying that right? Is a is a marijuana dispensary. Oh, so, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we are, you know, it's across from this enormous Gothic Presbyterian church with a huge uh, spire with all those little centipede legs coming off of it, and there's an enormous graveyard behind it. So it's this very odd dispensary building across from a graveyard um seems, <laughs> <laughs> seems kind of interesting so okay so now i'm back to heading uh, i'm going north on western now oklahoma city is broken up into three sort of main north to south streets it's may penn and western and so i'm on one of them and i'm going north penn actually stretches all the way down to norman down into blanchard because penn was the original highway um for oklahoma city back in the 1930s and 40s before the freeway system was built after world war ii so passing some car shops a big electrical power grid we got t and b express grocery looks like there's some pretty heavy bars on this window i think i'm in sort of the hood right now which is fine i'm going to turn down a residential street and see what i see is this fun is this interesting i don't know Oklahoma is um, is an amazing world to me. Um, I've told you about my Hydra, Oklahoma, and tornado yep. story, but um, I've got a Tulsa, 
Oklahoma story. Um, oh, I love Tulsa. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. Uh, it was, there was a little bit of a, kind of a romantic interlude, as in a, a severe breakup. <laughs> the, the first woman I'd ever been with who had oh, aqua oh, Jesus. underwear, like an aqua bra, and she did a bra yeah. prep. And, um, but, <laughs> well, it was her car, and she said to get out of it. <laughs> mm. So I'm on the road. <laughs> You know, I'm on the road. You know, remember that guy you were talking about? I'm in the middle of the street. Uh, yeah. I, I'm on the highway. And in this um, uh, Ford pickup truck comes by. And uh, there's a guy with a straw hat and a bit of, not a real beard, more sort of just gristle beard, you know. Uh, yeah. Not really doing the beard thing. But he stops for me because I've just, you know, I've been let out on the side of the road. Do you know who he was? Who? J.J. Kale. J.J. Kale. Okay. Tell me about J.J. Kale. They call me the breeze after okay. midnight. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We've got, our, we've got the age difference thing happening here, David. Oh, dear. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, he was... Uh, one of the greatest uh, songwriters, Cocaine. Dun, oh, really? dun, 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 you know? Yeah, of course. I know that one. Yeah. When I get down, you know, he wrote that for, I mean, um, that was his song originally. So he picked me up and drove me to the Tulsa Greyhound Station. And if people have never been to the Tulsa Greyhound Station, I. I think they have missed something important about American history uh, okay. um, because it's still possible to get an actual cherry pie slice. I believe this is true. I don't know. This was true then. This is true then. Okay. Um, it was beyond anything that you and and if. Do people know like a scoop of vanilla ice cream? You know, you actually want like a scoop. It's like a, a round spherical thing. You don't want like a mess of vanilla ice cream. You want a scoop. Right. Well, they could do that. And uh -huh. it just cheered me up entirely. It cheered me. I, and I, I took that bus all the way to the Port Authority in New York City, you know? Oh, wow. What were you doing in New York? Well, I was trying to recover from, uh, you know, this damaged love affair. <laughs> um, and thinking about if I'd ever meet it with an aqua bra again. Um, Did you? And what I thought about that. And, um, yeah, and, and trying to sell some work, trying to hustle my ass, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in, in these times, you're, you're basically, you're going to different places and you're just you're sort of finding work wherever you can find it yeah I right mean, now right now by the way speaking of hustles i'm passing a vietnamese restaurant called pho lien hua i went there a few weeks ago and i had ordered two two bowls of pho one for me one for my wife and i get up to the register and they say no 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 we don't take cards here and i said oh okay and then they pointed right next to the register at the ATM machine that they had positioned right next to the register. 
so I said, I see what's going on here, right? Like you don't take cards, but you just conveniently have an ATM machine right here. And they said, oh, no, 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 we don't, we don't own that. And I was like, well, do you charge rent on it? And they got real quiet. And I'm like, no, it's okay. I respect it. I respect the hustle. You got you to gotta make your extra, you know, $2.50 every time somebody comes in here with a card. I get it. I get it. You know, um, like we've got a really uh, very vigorous Vietnamese population here in, in Vegas in southern Nevada. Um, but, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. We don't have a lot of Indian people. Are there, I mean, there are a couple of good Indian restaurants, but you almost know the Indian population here locally because of that. Whereas when I was traveling um, just a few, uh, you know, weeks ago, there are a lot of Indian people in other parts of the state do you have a big indian population around you not huge the gas station down the street from where i live where i'll normally go to buy beer uh is indian run but i there's not a huge there's not like a robust population here where what we have in norman which might be kind of surprising we have a, a lot of lebanese um there's a big lebanese population really uh, that yeah. Oh, that's surprising. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's great food. We have some great Lebanese restaurants here. Um, up here in the city, I think there's a pretty solid amount of of Vietnamese people up here. Yeah, yeah. I think we have a. But Indian, I'm not sure. When I was moving furniture back in the day, I used to move furniture into a lot of uh, Indian doctors' houses. These these enormous mansions. Uh, but that was really my only only encounter. Well, you know, here's my question. We've got a bunch of, you know, sociologists uh, and general social scientists on a fair bit of money at our universities. Why don't we have some more demographic, historic information about our ethnic communities um, since the 1960s? I, I don't think we have anything about this. I don't understand it at all. Yeah, I don't know. Um, the, I mean, they take censuses, but the, are you, you're saying that there's not like local community stuff like that? Well, it's not just census data. It's like, how did you get here? Why are you here? What do you think you're doing? How many people do you know? You know, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's the human animist magic sense of people integrating into another cultural community. I mean, I don't care about census data. I mean, that right, like, right. yeah, I'm I, I'm a white guy a certain age. Yeah, that that tells the world a great deal. You know, yeah. you know, ridiculous. all you need to know, all you need right. To know. You know, I, I'm talking about why some people. Well, for instance, why are there Indian people from places like South Africa in Hawthorne, Nevada? I mean yeah. that makes me that make. Do you know that actually there there's a there's a, Hawthorne, Nevada is a, a is a military a weapons dump area, but there's a legend which you would really love, mm. and I think that if you came out here we'd have to explore this, that there might be subterranean submarine as in submarines can go into the tunnels 
all the way to the West Coast oh, wow. from Hawthorne, Nevada. Yeah. Now, that's just completely insane. But why are a bunch of Indian people from the biggest continent on the, you know, on the face of the earth, why are they there? I don't understand that. I think it's, I think it has to do with family networks. I think that there's, I remember talking to a, a guy who ran a gas station where, when I lived in Portland and he basically took that slot because his family had bought up a, a gas station franchise all along kind of the West coast. And then they sort of, they need family members to go in and, and run it. And I can't recall if it was a rent to own kind of thing or if he was just, you know, helping his family out. But I think I think that's how those particular networks work out. I think that they I think they buy up franchises and then you end up with one, you know, one unlucky person has to go to, uh, you know. But fuck Iowa or something like that, you know, to run that particular gas station. I'm seeing but some uh, it... graffiti here, by the way, that says uh, justice for Breonna Taylor, fuck Donald Trump. So apparently there's there's some passionate sentiments here about about our president. Hmm. Well, it's interesting that, uh, you know, that's a Kentucky sort of story, not, um, you know, it's, yeah. but just to get back just before, you know, I think what you're saying is that the whole world is about family networks. Yes. And, you know, that's how we get from A to B. Um, so let's let, let's conjoin these things. Let's let's try to do a, a, a good conflation. I don't like people like ideas. They usually get wrong. But um, let's try to mix uh, family networks and how demographics work around the world with the idea of supporting Smith Taylor. So mm. a lot of those those people did not know that woman. Right. Right. Uh, I think it's safe to say. I, I, I really doubt they knew that woman. Um, right. So they're seizing on that as a kind of symbol, as a kind of representational, you know, focus of political, personal identity. What do you make of that? I think it has a lot to do with the connectivity of, of the Internet. I think that... Um, when it comes to someone like Breonna Taylor, I think that the that the network that was formed uh, is largely symbolic. I think it comes down to it being this sort of um, perfect might be the wrong word because it has positive connotations, but it's this sort of uh, perfect symbol of of police overreach where they broke down her door, um, and then her boyfriend, who had you know every right to defend himself, went for his gun, and they ended up shooting both him and her unfortunately killing her. So I think that the, I'm not, I'm not sure about the extension of the family network because I think that, I think it might in, in fact be the opposite because an extended family network could consist of people who hate each other um, or at least dislike each other, but who are sort of brought together by familial bonds to take care of each other. And I think that on the left, I think that it's, it's the complete opposite. It's people who are, who have, very little in the way of familial bonds, but who are attempting to recreate that with a kind of uh, ersatz, connective internet, social media tissue um, to, to to varying effects. I mean, I'm not I'm not really sure how effective any of that has been. Uh, I don't. What do you think? 
Well, I think it's really interesting what you're talking about in terms of families, actual families, working against the grain of identity because anyone who's had a sibling or a parent actually knows that. In real terms, we're always working against that grain. We're always trying to find some common ground, even when that's very difficult. I, I'm not sure what, what people who are identifying with these media-made uh, figures uh, are really talking about. Um, I, I, I just don't know. Um, I'm, I'm really not sure when you load on top of that a lot of racial um, symbolism of, of today. I just think it's too heavy a stew, you know? really is. I mean, I lost eight friends before I turned 18. And um, we didn't have any big protest marches about that. And I think we should have, you know. Um, so what do you say about what, what makes these lives matter so much more today? That's my question. I, I, oh, I, I say they don't matter. I, I, I'm worried about it. And, and I think they do matter. And I'm, right. I'm, I'm really upset about it. But, you know, my high school um, friends mattered to me, too. Yeah. So I think that what's going on here is um, I think there's a few things. Number one, I think that there is a growing amount of awareness of what's going on. I think that it's a growing amount of awareness in a population that is wildly susceptible to causes of social justice, which is young college-educated people. Um, I think that sort of the average person in this country uh, can have an opinion one way or the other about what happened to Breonna Taylor or George Floyd, but I think that they would definitely stop short of ever going to a sort of protest. You know, I had a... <clears throat> I was talking to a friend of mine once and we were talking about the kind of woke stuff that was, uh, that was starting up. And, uh, he was actually a, a trans man who I was asking about this. So I, I thought, you know, I mean, I get me, I'm, I'm a, I'm a pretty much meat and potatoes, regular white guy. Um, so what do you think about all the, you know, all these people who are so super woke right now? And, uh, and he said, um, he's like, well, think about it. They're, they're in school, they're kids. You know, this was a this was a kind of this was a guy who was sort of my age. So at the time we would have been in our late 20s, early 30s. And he said, you know, think about how you were when you were first in college. And it, that made everything click for me, because when I was first going to college, I went I did my first two years at the University of Texas at El Paso. And my ethics professor at the time was a guy named uh, Steve Best. And Steve Best was a is a wild uh, vegan guy. He's been on, you remember the Penn and Teller show Bullshit? Yeah. Well, well, when they did their episode on PETA, on PETA being bullshit, they used Steve Best as their talking head to show how crazy these people are. So this guy <laughs> had all these radical dudes come and talk to us um, in class. I'm 18 years old and he's got people who have just gotten out of jail on a, you know, four or five year stretch for 
releasing monkeys from cages at, at labs. And, you know, I think the, the one guy we had released a bunch of uh, mongooses, mongoose, mongooses from, from a laboratory. And <laughs> Many so people looking... have been tripped up about that, David. Yes, yes. Just but, go so... for mongooses. Mongooses sounds good to me. So this, uh, this guy was a member of the ALF, the Animal Liberal Feder Liberation Federation. And at 18 years old, I thought that was the coolest fucking thing ever. They wore the balaclavas. They, you know, they carried weapons around. They were going to save the fucking animals and save the planets. And I thought, these guys really are about that life. I've always been about people who are willing to put their money where their mouth is. So I thought, you know, I might give it a try. I might give veganism a try. I lived in the dorms and there was a Taco Bell nearby where I lived. And so I tried to live off bean burritos for about a week uh, before I completely caved and never went back to veganism ever again. Now, you know me pretty well. Um, that's very out of character for me. But when you're 18 years old and you see a cause like this, you just sort of you sort of jump on it. So I think that to bring it back to the current situation, I think that it is so social media. And here's the uncomfortable bit, man. Here's the part that people don't want to admit. It's it's also highly corporatized now. It is now a it is now a corporate cause rather than a grassroots social justice cause. And that's when the money is behind it, when the corporate interests are behind it, that's when it gets a lot of traction. Because, you know, you don't have to you don't have to do any kind of groundswell work, you know, and, and these corporations essentially just want to protect their profits, so they pretend to be woke. And they uh, they think that that'll that that'll do, you know, McDonald's will put George Floyd's name on a on a picture of a hamburger, which is a real thing that happened. And <laughs> they think that yeah. they're doing their fucking due diligence. It's completely it's completely absurd. So I think it's I think it's youthful hope and maybe a bit of naivete. I think it's uh, social media conditioning and I think it's uh, corporate brainwashing. Are, are the three things that are all going into it. It doesn't matter if it comes from a good place or not, right? I'm not making a value judgment about what they, what they stand for, but that's what that is, in my, in my opinion. Well, I'll add one more thing. Um, and I don't accept, you know, I, 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 I get that people can't get with this, you know, because I've lived a different life than a lot of people. But I think what, what, is happening and is, is an absence of life experience. I have personally made a blowgun and a dart to take out a mongoose. And that's not a bad shot. I mean, how, how far do you think you could blow a dart? You know, a lot of people uh, don't know the answer to this, you know? And one time, I, oh, I'm sorry, continue, my bad. Well, you know, it's just, I, I think what we're dealing with is people who have been living on the couch playing video games and ordering, you know, take-in food and watching Netflix. And that's just not my life experience, you know? Right, right. Um, what do you say to those people? For starters, you've got, you know, all sorts of metabolic issues. Um they're all pre-diabetic. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a major. Um, well, I don't know how how can how can it be politely said? Uh, I, I'm 
a convicted international smuggler. I've been yeah. a major drug addict. Uh, I'm lucky to be alive. Um, and I'm a very proud teacher of um, culture and uh, writing around the world um, with a major contract. Um, but I'm, I'm damn lucky to be alive. But you know what? I wouldn't take back any one of those crises moments. None. Yeah, right. Right. There was a, when I was in high school, I was walking home one day and there was a group of guys out there who I had never seen in my neighborhood before and never saw them again. There's about eight of them. And I was walking by and I, I was, I had this drink in my hand and this one kid goes, Hey, let me have your drink. And I said something like fuck off or whatever. And then I hear uh, this kind of like funk and I look in my shoulder blade and there's a little feather kind of waving in the wind. And I pull the feather, and sure enough, it's a dart from a blowgun. Wow. <laughs> and so I, I put there it down. Oh, everything circles around. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm, and nothing really happened. They all started laughing, and I didn't really know what the fuck to do. I just kind of dropped it. Honestly, it was, it was kind of funny. Um, so I just kind of put the dart down and went about my day. But I'll never forget that. Yeah, I got, I got shot in the arm with a blowgun. Was this in Oklahoma? Random. Yeah, this was in Oklahoma. This was in Long, well, Oklahoma. Oklahoma has a great Native American tradition of blowgunning. Were they Native American? I think, I think the kid who shot me with it might have been. Yeah, he might have been. Um, I re I remember him as looking pretty white, but sometimes in Oklahoma it gets hard to tell. It's like blood quantum and all that stuff, you know. But. Um, but yeah, no, I'm not really sure. But yeah, shot with a blowgun. Well, there is for people who are interested in, in blowgunning, um, and it's hard to um, outside of, of South America and Borneo uh, and Oceania to find the people who do it. Oklahoma does have a great tradition of this. I think you can Google on uh, the main Cherokee. Uh, reservation website. I think they do workshops on this and um, they actually talk about the making of, of the blowguns from uh, a physical art point of view, but also a weapon point of view. So um, let, let I'll find out some more details about that, but I'm pretty sure that, that there's something really interesting happening. Um, and I think it's in central Oklahoma. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's exactly where I'm smack dab in the middle. Oklahoma City yeah. is that, that bullseye right in the middle of the map. I'm uh, currently at a light. There's nothing very interesting going on here, but I want to comment on something that I've noticed as I've been passing a lot of these places, which is the preponderance of abandoned couches and chairs that are sitting out. Now, oh. when you when you want to get rid of a, of a couch or a chair, take it to the dump, Apparently, that's not what's done here. So the cover to my novel, Blood and Water, is is a couch in a field. And, I, you know, the publisher picked that, and I didn't give it much thought. I, I thought it was evocative and that it worked as a cover, but I didn't think about it very much. But now that I'm kind of thinking, it's like there are so many couches out here. But think about this from, think about this from like a magical perspective, right? Think about like what a couch symbolically represents and think about powerpoints in oklahoma as like a way station like a train station almost for spirits this is the most couches i've ever seen anywhere so like yeah maybe it's places for them to sit down while they're while they're passing through 
You know what I mean? Like maybe maybe that's what's going on. Well, I think that's really interesting, you know, and also uh, not to be, um, you know, lewd. I, I think the couch is an intermediate step to the bed. And, and many of us have, you know, done some good fooling around um, working our way to the bedroom, you know. Um, and also a couch in that sense is very significant of well, we're not in our car. I mean, uh, can I get a witness? I, I, I had a lot of sex in cars for a long time, you know? You know, that was my yeah, only option, yeah. you know? Um, right. But I think the couch isn't... Actually, we could do a beautiful spectrum. And I love the idea, David, that we're kind of... You and I both are on some sort of spectrum, and I'm not sure what spectrum <laughs> it, it It may not be everybody else's spectrum, but it's our spectrum. But yep. from the car to the couch to an actual bedroom, doesn't that actually uh, delineate maturity uh, in Western cultural terms? I think yeah. it does. I think it does, too. Also, speaking of cars, the, the, I, I remember driving my, my now wife out into the woods and we were in high school and I was so excited, you know, I'm like, it's finally going to happen, you know? And so we're in the car and I was probably like just rounded first base or something and these lights come on and we kind of like scramble real fast and we get, and then we see it's this big truck with these big wheels and all these headlights and I, I get out and I say hello, and, and they're they're I basically just cop to what's going on, and they all laugh. And they were out there hunting possums. They were looking for possums. <laughs> so since then, since then, whenever whenever we get you know interrupted or something, you know the you know knock on the door or something like that, our in joke is to say you know goddamn possum hunters. That's kind of our continuous in joke. Well, you know, I mean, I just want to point out to people, because I'm just a constant teacher, I can't help myself. I was driving my now wife out into the woods. Alliteration, you know? Alliteration yeah. works. It's a great idea. It's an ancient awesome. idea that comes from a, a past that we can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you think about that theme alone. I was listening to uh, Bob Seger's night moves you know the other day and it's just like that's his whole thing like that that reinvented his entire career mm -hmm. you know it, there yeah. is nothing more than taking your girlfriend out into the woods what what really is there i mean you can you can adjust the sexual preference there uh sure, sure. but there is nothing different that's the only thing there is going on on this uh -huh. planet Oh yeah, no, no. In in one way or the other, it's all that. Yeah, it's it's going out to the woods all the way down. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting once you do get settled and you know and you have a, a room and places to go, it, you do kind you kind of miss that you know, going having to go to the woods. You know what I mean? Because where else do you go? I mean, there's there's no and and there's times that you got to be back. You know, so you're looking at your watch and you're like, okay, we have one minute and or we have a uh, one hour and seven minutes like we can we can make this shit happen and <laughs> and, and then that kind of yeah, well, that kind of goes away 
That is, you know, and this is what um, I, I think we can shout out to a great group of gay and lesbian writers who appreciated this. They don't want approval because it was all strange. It was all contra. It was all difficult. And that's where the magic was. Exactly. Exactly. There are some there are some prominent people uh, uh, who I've heard say this, some some kind of radical uh, uh, gay folks. I'm trying to think of who it was who said, oh, I think it was Connor Habib who said this. But uh, he was talking about when, when he was against gay marriage. Now, this was a guy who did gay porn for uh, quite some time, maybe 10 years or something like that. Like, he's definitely, he's definitely not, like, anti-gay or self-hating or anything like that. But he did not want marriage to go through. And he said, well, why would we want to be like straight people? That makes no sense. That's part of the fun of being gay. Well, my one of my greatest collaborators... Um, Steve Joseph in Houston. Um, you know, the last thing he wants is to be just like a heterosexual in the suburbs. You know, yeah. he's he's crazy. He's a great artist. He doesn't want to be burdened with uh, some kind of wife, you know, and good on him. You know, yeah. Why yeah. Do we, why do we make all these people seem to think that Oh, being in the line at um, you know McDonald's is is the way to go. No, no, <laughs> get out of the fucking line. Yeah, get out of line. Go, go, literally go find a squirrel and kill it with your bare hands instead. I guarantee you, if you you don't even have to pull the fur off, just put it in a fire, and it's going to be healthier than the McDonald's that you're eating. Unless, of course, that squirrel is eating McDonald's, then you might have a problem. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I really like that idea of get out of line. That's, uh, that has so many different meanings to it. You know, there is the, the phrase like you're out of line. Um, and when you said it, I was thinking of a literal cue that you'd be standing in, but I like it in both ways. I like it in the idea of being rowdy, but even if you're not being rowdy, I like it in the idea of like, just stop standing around waiting for your turn to be at the window. What a like, what an awful way for human beings to operate. You know, it's like the McDonald's drive-through is is just it's like a you see pictures of Great Depression bread lines, and it's just the modern iteration of that. Well, you know, we need someone to lift us up, and um, maybe we can sort of pose it out. You know, an old man in Borneo said to me, you, you can actually hunt with us. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you, you don't think you can, um, but come with us. We won't lose you. We won't lose you. Uh-huh. Um, you're not going to be as good as us because we've been doing this for 70 years, but we will not lose you and you will learn something. And when that man said that to me, I I grew 